Well, thanks, everyone, and it's been great to greet a lot of you again. Um, it, it doesn't seem five minutes, although would you believe it's about six years since we moved up to Coventry. And, uh, yeah, it's staggering, isn't it? Um, well, the way I can really tell is just looking at some of these children, <laughs> you know. And um, as you will know, this is probably bringing coals to Newcastle, me coming here to speak about God's heart for children. Um, because really this is the context in which it really all began for Jenny and I um, in terms of God actually speaking it into us as an impartation of his heart um, that he wanted us then to go on uh, to develop and to bring. And it's so exciting to see uh, some of those, um, Phil used the text from Psalm 127 earlier about the arrows. Um, I can remember graphically uh, speaking that in prophetically some seven or eight years ago, no, more, 17 or 18 probably years ago, and now looking around and seeing where some of those arrows have landed, you've just seen one of them, and uh, maybe come back to that a little bit later. But it's great how God organises things, and um, we had uh, a a terrific time of worship earlier, and um, the... The, the word in the middle of one of those songs, um, we have a God who is good, a good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. Um, is really where I was going to be starting from. Uh, because actually, when we think about it, the first thing that we can really understand about God is that he's a father, first of all. Right at the beginning, at the beginning of of Genesis, we see that he creates everything that there is. And uh, then he talks to his son and says, so now let us go and do what we want to do uh, with this creation. He's speaking in the plural. He's speaking about him and Jesus. So first of all, he's a father, um, above all. Now, one of the the confusing things in this day and age, and the thing that Jenny and I are grappling with a lot of the time when we're ministering in Coventry, is that that's a concept that is devoid of meaning for so many people uh, in, the, in the world at the moment. Yeah? And uh, so it's a concept that we have to build upon by actually bringing understanding, not what a father is, but who God is, and that is what a father is, okay? So if we put it that way on, what do we come up with? First of all, we have a father who actually wants loads of kids. And actually, that's quite unusual in the world today, isn't it? Uh, he, He said to the people he created, go and fill up the world, Fill up the earth with what? With my children. Why did he want that? Because he values who he has made. And that's another thing that we have to work on and that we have to get understanding of, into people about, you know, what value God puts upon children, upon his children. Um, A father who loves his kids, someone who loves them. A father who protects his children. He's their refuge, their fortress. We were singing about that too earlier. 
okay? He's a father who teaches, who trains, who encourages, who rebukes, who chastises. That's all part of that little word called love, yeah? If you care enough, you will rebuke, you will chastise if necessary. A father who praises and encourages. A father who is present, who's here. And again, so many kids don't know what that means in this day and age. And a father who not, is only, not only present, but engages with his, with his children. A father who instills confidence and character into his children, and a father who speaks purpose into their lives. So I want to um, come to the scripture, starting off um, in Mark, chapter 9, and looking from verse 33. And this picks up on the whole thing of... Jesus needing and wanting to actually impart his heart into the people that he'd chosen to follow him. You know, he had these disciples who would call him teacher sometimes. He'd correct them on that. I ain't just your teacher. Yeah? The term master came into it, implying relationship, implying the whole thing that he started off when he first called them. What did he say? He went and met them on the beach and in their places of work and said, come and follow me. Yeah? He said, come listen to me. He didn't say, oh, I'll come and meet you here once a week for an hour because I've got some things to teach you. He said, come follow me. Come with me. Be part of my life. And in that way, something will happen. There will be, rather than information or teaching or learning, there will be something we call impartation, which actually means there is a transformation that takes place in the person, changes them from being one thing into being another. And that's what Jesus was doing when he said, come follow me, you know. We've got some life changing to happen. We've got some transformation to take place. And along the way, in verse 33, he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? one of those questions where the disciples start to look around at each other and think, he knows the answer, doesn't he? <laughs> He's not really asking, is he? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> what do we say here? Well, there's only one way with this. Keep silent. <laughs> but they kept silent. For on the road, they disputed amongst themselves who would be the greatest? So why did they have to be quiet about that? Methinks it was something to do 
we got the wrong message here. Um, all this time we've been with him, have we not been learning something else than that? Have we not been learning that it's not actually about who is going to be the greatest amongst us? And yet here we are, jostling for position as we walk along with him. A certain amount of shame started to creep in, I think. But Jesus mercifully sat them down and called them to him and said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set the child in the midst of them. And when he'd taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but he who sent me. I want to pick that up in more detail now in Matthew 18. I'm just going to read that, this scripture, Matthew 18, 1 to 14, then go back through it um, to, to pull this out a bit more. At the time, Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest? This is a different account, isn't it? Obviously, someone's got their story slightly mixed. Either they were keeping quiet <laughs> or they were coming and asking him. We won't know that. But in the end, it's the answer that matters. Okay. Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Surely I say to you, unless you're changed and become as little children, you will be by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one little child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Moving to verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little children. For I say to you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father, who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that didn't go astray. Even so... Not the will of your Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. That just reminded me of the mention of angels there and shout that you're going to do. I'm quite surprised, John, that you let people go so far from the scriptural basis in these things, you know. Didn't you know angels don't have wings? <laughs> yeah. um, I, can't, I can't sort of jump past this, this thought. Uh, my mum... Uh, was speaking to me the other day, I was taking her to the hospital, and uh, she gave me a testimony, first time she's ever done that. Um, she, she uses one of these electric scooters uh, to get around, 
and uh, I have to charge the battery every week because she can't get it into her house. It's too heavy <laughs> to, to charge it. And um, she'd gone out on her scooter into to town. She does this. She's getting on 91, gone scooting around the shops. And there's a bit um, between the, her place and the shops where there's a downhill and an uphill. And uh, she was coming down this hill, and she noticed it seemed as though the battery was starting to to sort of fail, and she knows when she gets to the point of going uphill, the thing ain't going to go, and she'll be sort of stuck and stranded. She gets very anxious about that, and so she told me she prayed. She said, I was going down this hill, I was praying, God, help me to get up the other side, and uh, she said she got to the bottom of the hill, and sure enough, the the thing started to fade, and this, a lady came up um, beside her and said, oh, you need some help, dear. And she said, oh, it's all right, I'll push you up. And so there's this lady sort of pushing her up the slope to the other side. And she said, well, when I got to the top, I looked round and she was walking away. <laughs> Thereby some have entertained angels unawares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But God answers prayers, doesn't he? Yeah. But that's a serious point in terms of the, the angelic um, presence which is available to children. Uh, that we need to thank God for and recognise. Um, that's there. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's not about us. It's about him and what he wants to do. Um, but it certainly can build our faith, can't it, when we're thinking about the needs of children, situation children find themselves in these days, that there actually is an angelic resource <laughs> which is there, made specifically for that purpose. Coming back to the disciples. So, he says to them, unless you're converted and become like children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about a childlike heart, a childlike spirit, which is a qualification, it seems, for entrance into God's kingdom. Because he says to them, if you haven't got that, you're not going to make it. So can you imagine what they're, they're thinking between themselves? How does that mean that we've got to be? We've got to keep singing, our God is a great big God, or we've got to keep doing kids' things? Um, take a minute and just talk to the person next to you. What do you think that means for you? I'll read it again while you're doing it. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, did the person next to you say anything that you felt was helpful? One or two people want to shout it out? Doesn't have to be what you said, it could be something that you've heard. Putting yourself in a place where you're trusting the person that you're with. Yeah, I think someone could go a step further than that. Yes? Yeah, total trust, belief that they're for you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, under analysis is a good one, yes, Jamie. 
freshness, curiosity, yeah, everything's got a sense of newness about it. Yeah, some great stuff coming here. It's a childlike spirit. Paul? Uh, sort of we haven't got it all yeah. Ah, full of white, we used to call it vitality, you know. Why is that? What for? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Humility. Yeah? You don't think steps on. Yeah. Yeah, not overthinking things, which we always do, don't we? Um, it comes right back to what we were saying earlier. Really, it's, it's knowing it's not about me, but it's about God. Yeah? Um, that's what the humility is. It's actually realizing, and Avril had that revelation, tell about me. It's not even about this thing that I'm doing. Not even about the thing that I've invested so much of myself into. It's actually about him. And uh, that's where I get my value. And that's where I get my sense of reward and um, well-being. Okay. And you know that humility is powerful. I haven't got time to go through it now, but if, you, if I mention Samuel, you know the spirit's God seemed to have departed from the nation. The flame in the temple was burning low. There wasn't much prophecy around. God speaks to Samuel. Go to your master. And you know what happens? Samuel gets the anointing of God, becomes the great man of God. David, huge threat of this giant, um, terrifying the whole nation of Israel, one little boy has a different spirit. One little boy has this humility that Jesus is trying to nurture into his disciples. And one little boy says, who does he think he is? <laughs> He's insulting the armies of the living God. Goes in front of him and shouts insults at him. Of course, we know the end of that story. Of course, Jesus himself, as a child quite happy to sit down amongst the learned, you know, the, the, the greats of the time, and banter with them, churn ideas over. So humility is powerful. Let's move on. Then he says this, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now, that, that receive is um, in the sense that, you know, when you've got guests coming to your house, you receive them. Or if you're going into a hotel, there'll be a desk up there with a word across the top, reception. And what do you expect to happen there? If it's a good place, you expect a welcome. Yeah. Now, when, when you're having guests around to your home, uh, think and talk again for a minute, if you like, with the person next to you. What do you do? I hope there are a number of people sitting around here now who are hoping to be invited around to your home because of what you've just said, yeah? <laughs> Stick your hand up if you'd like to be invited around to the home of the person you were just talking to. <laughs> okay. Good, because you get the sense that you might be welcome there? Yeah? Okay. Um, but you see, there's welcome and there's welcome, isn't there? 
there's, there's welcome and there's just catering for. And sometimes you can tell that in hotels, can't you, when you go in. I'm either welcome here or they're just putting up with me or putting me up. <laughs> um, Jesus isn't talking about putting up with, is he? He's not talking about putting them up. He's talking about welcoming. And actually, Jesus goes a bit further with his understanding of what, what, what welcoming is. And uh, there's a clue, if I can find the scripture, in Luke 7. It's actually a bit more than a clue. It's quite graphic. 44. Yep. See, Jesus has gone to the house, gone to, a, to a, the house of one of his followers. And... Um, He's been greeted by a woman. And he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. That's the sort of welcome that Jesus is talking about. And let's remember what he says to the disciples. If you welcome a little child like this in my name, you welcome me. Um, What's the corollary of that if you don't you don't Hmm? so there's a certain sense of extravagance about Jesus' heart in this whole thing of welcoming now we don't only have to apply it with children it'd be great if we apply it to anybody because in the end we're all God's children aren't we But what he's saying is, welcome them as you would welcome me, as you would welcome Jesus. Um, I live with an example of this, um, because as you know, um, the whole thing of Heart for Children has been something that um, God's had upon Jenny and I for much of our lives, and since we've been to Coventry, that hasn't changed. Uh, We tend to get visited by families quite a lot that have got children, and so half of my garage is full of different boxes of toys and things. And so when there's someone coming, Jenny's already working about a week ahead. Oh, we will need the cars out. We will need the, the jigsaws out. We will need the puzzles. Oh, and there's a little one there. We'll need some colouring. And so it's all set out. The conservatory's taken over before they've got anywhere near the house. Um, this is the heart for children operating. What? The children of the um, church leader that we work with, they, they come around weekly now. Um, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mum Catherine said to us, you know what, what Ellie said when we got home last week? Can we go to their house for our holidays? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I hope you said no. Because <laughs> I don't welcome children at all. <laughs> Okay, so, 
for us as individuals, that will mean thinking it through. But for us as a church, and I'm really bringing Coles to Newcastle here because it's so impressive. Um, and it's such a blessing to Jenny and I to see how that work with the children is continuing to push out um, new creativity, new enthusiasm, new life all the time. Um, it's exemplary in this church from what little we've seen, just a little bit, um, since we've been away. So that, that's, that's a great blessing. Of course, many churches you have to ask the question, do they want Jesus here at all? Because <laughs> you see no kids, you see kids not being welcomed. And what did Jesus say? If you do it for me, you do it for God. If you do it for them, you do it for me. You do it for me, you do it for them. If you don't do it for me, well, get to the hard, even harder part now, because in verse 6 he says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Struck me when I first really focused on that, you know, that's a pretty heavy thing, isn't it? This is the Jesus who's all sweetness and light and love and care and wants me to be safe and wants me to think well of myself and so on. And what he's saying is, if I get this wrong, I may as well commit suicide. That's, that's about as serious as the thing that he said about Judas, remember? There's one who's going to dip this bread in the bowl with me. This is at the Last Supper. It would actually be better for him if he'd never been born. Those two things on a par. It's almost as though he's saying, look, if you cause a child like this to sin, you betray me. It's an act of betrayal. But then we can think... Thank goodness I haven't, you know. I'm okay on that score. Maybe that's what the disciples were thinking. Why is he saying this to us? I've never, I've taught my kids properly. I've never caused them to sin. Well, why was he saying it? There was something he was perceiving, like he perceived when he said to them, what were you talking about when you were going along the road? He knew. (laughs) See, he had the ability and he has the ability to read the thoughts and intentions of your heart and actually that's all he's bothered about. He's not concerned about what you know. He's not so concerned about what you do because you know it. He's much more concerned about what's going on in here and that's why he chose to seek to impart his heart into the lives of those disciples. And I guess he's picking up on something that he's seeing now as pretty significant. How could we think about it? I don't reckon there's anyone here that's sitting there thinking, well, you know, I've deliberately caused children to sin. But how could we? What's he talking about? Another half a minute with with your neighbour, in case you're struggling with that. 
Yeah, sorry, it's a bit heavy that one, isn't it? Not so exciting. But I'm sure there's wisdom out here. Any thoughts to share in? Andrew? Okay, so we take some ownership of what we're seeing as them and not us, yeah? Is that what you're saying? If it's in the media, it's out there, then we need to try and do something about it? Maybe, maybe, yeah? I'm thinking of something that's even closer to home, probably, than that. Any others? Go, Andy. Okay. Okay, yeah. So it's good to be thinking about children and thinking, you know, how can I facilitate, how can I help, how, how can I encourage? You know, all those things I read out about God. We were thinking about the names of God earlier, weren't we? Yeah? How can I be like that? Yeah? Rich? Uh, yeah, just thinking children watch us like hawks, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're watching you. <laughs> yeah? Have you noticed children watching you? Someone was telling me my littlest, um, not quite littlest, my littlest grandson <laughs> um, was watching me the other day when I came in and wiped my feet at the door. And he thought, oh, I better go do that. And, he's <laughs> and then wiped his feet at the door. Yeah, but simple things. But yeah, they're watching our attitudes. Um, they read a lot more into things than we, we give them credit for. Yeah, And... Um, just the whole thing of neglect sometimes, you know. If a child doesn't feel there's anyone taking any notice of them, um, then that's as much as anything, giving the opportunity. Uh, I used to read this story. I couldn't find it. I looked for it. probably haven't got time anyway. Um, have you heard of the story, Not Now Bernard? Yeah? Okay. It's this little boy. You've got nothing to do. Um, keeps on sort of asking his parents if they'll do something with them, but they're, they're busy with the washing up, they're busy with the cooking, and it's always, not now, Bernard. They've got loads of things for him, you know, the TV's there, he's got his books, he's got his toys, but they are absent, yeah? They're present, absent parents, yeah? And we can be present and absent, yeah? Um, thereby giving the opportunity in this book, I don't know if the guy's a Christian or not, but he talks about, so Bernard goes out in the garden and plays with the monster that's out there. Yeah. And actually, I thought, that ain't far from the scripture, is it? What does the scripture say? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you've watched lions on TV, if you've seen Attenborough on lions or anything, you'll notice that they always go for the easiest prey. They're not going to go for the big daddies and mummies. They tend to go for the little and injured and uh, less able to get away from them. And um, the world can be a hazardous place like that. If Jesus is, is talking about uh, our enemy, the devil, um, then there must be one. There must be something there that we need to be mindful of, uh, not scared of, because let's remember he who is in us is greater than anything that's in the world, whatever it might look like or seem like, okay? But we need to engage with that. We need to recognise that we have a responsibility to engage 
uh, with children. And again, it's, it's brilliant to see how um, you're doing that when the state can't manage to engage with some kids, that God's raised something up here that is enabling them to be engaged. And uh, that's very important for everything else that we've said. Okay. So, no millstones, please. Um, Then Jesus goes on about how awful offences can be. Take heed that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I say to you, Uh, that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father, who is in heaven. The Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, this whole thing of the parable of the lost sheep, uh, we tend to take generally as the commission um, of Jesus to us to actually go and speak the gospel in order that there can be a preacher and they can hear and they can respond and come back into uh, the, the family of God. But it's it often overlooked that actually he was talking about it in the context of children. And uh, we can be a bit fearful, a bit anxious about um, uh, doing things like proselytizing or um, indoctrinating, uh, you know, just sort of being, um, being cheap in our approach uh, because we're actually seeking to uh, tell children about God and about what Jesus has done for them. But here, you know, we have a, a, a stark reminder that actually the sheep on the hillside in this context is a child. And it could be any child. The child that Jesus picked on um, to use as his example and, and put in the middle uh, of, of those disciples was, was just a kid that happened to be hanging around. But you notice the context of that. He wasn't in some posh family's house where the kids have all sort of gone to good schools and, you know, were, were working hard for their GCSEs. This was in the street. It's most likely that this child was an unkempt street urchin that Jesus put in front of them. And there's another message there, isn't there? You know, don't you judge by what you see. Because what my father sees when he looks on this child is someone that he loves, and someone that he has got a plan and a purpose for. It's not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should perish. And one of the really good reasons um, that that's the case, obviously, apart from the Father heart of God um, rejoicing in every one that comes to him, is that actually, as Phil was reading out earlier, each one of those can be an arrow in the quiver. Uh, What do we mean by that? Well, the scripture goes on to say, um, these are like children, and they're a blessing from God, these arrows, and uh, blessed is the person who's got a quiver full of them, They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gates. What's he talking about there? He's talking about a purpose for each one of them. You know, if you think about the the arrow as as um, an illustration, an arrow has flighting, it has a shaft, and it has a point, okay? Okay. 
Well, the flight helps it keep on course, about the direction that it goes. So God has a direction for every child. The shaft has to be straight. It speaks of character. It speaks of all of the development that we go through with kids to instill into them, to impart, like Jesus was doing these disciples, a heart in them to instill character which is going to be straight and true and strong. And it shall be. And the arrow has a point. The point is the purpose, where it strikes. You remember that uh, in Psalm 8, um, the psalmist talks about out of the mouths of children, God has ordained praise. Yeah? And what does that praise do? It confounds the enemy. It shuts him up. So if you can't think of any other purpose for your children, let them praise God. Okay? Let them be ones who will confound the devices of the evil one in their lives and in your lives and in the, in the lives of the people around them. Because actually they're arrows. It didn't say they might be. It says they are. God's given you them. That's what they are. And they have that purpose in their lives. Um, I always hesitate to go on to this last point. <laughs> but don't beat yourselves up about these things if you feel, oh, I've not really made it there. Because let's bear in mind that we have that promise of God that he will enable us in every aspect, in every respect. Okay? And so when the disciples were turning away, if you, it's only a, the next chapter of Matthew, Matthew 19, the women were bringing their children to Jesus uh, to bless them. Now, I don't know whether this was the next day, the next week, or a year later, but these same disciples that Jesus had just said, you better commit suicide if you um, said to the mothers, no, send them away. Sending the children away. <laughs> Jesus said, no, let them come. And I'm surprised it was as mild as that. <laughs> Don't you get it? Don't you get it yet? How long have I got to put up with this? You can imagine. It. In fact, he did say that at one point. So let's ask God to help us, shall we? Um, do you think you need refreshing in that? Or is it, you know, everything okay here? Yeah. Um, if you think you need refreshing in that and God to impart something to your heart that things can be different from here, let's stand up and we'll pray together. Don't do it out of obligation, just if you feel that's something you want. That's yeah. right. Oh, Father God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for seeing me in the way that you did that little boy that Jesus pulled out, or that child that Jesus pulled out and put in front of the disciples. Thank you for giving me a place in your family, a place in your heart. 
Thank you for the purpose that you have for me and for the empowering that is available to me through that angelic source, through your Holy Spirit. Now, I pray, Father, that you will touch the hearts again of everyone who has opened theirs to you here this morning. That that anointing of the Holy Spirit that would cause their hearts to be turned towards children would come and that they will not be the same again, but they will be those who warm-heartedly welcome children into their lives, welcome children into their homes, welcome children into the church and be those who are a blessing to all of the children that they meet. For the glory of your name, hallelujah. Amen. Amen.